He has a lot of great ideas. He's not a stupid man. He's worth $9 billion. I feel like our country is going down the drain. He's actually a very intelligent man who cares deeply about America. There is no question that this is the person who will go to Washington, D.C. and be able to absolutely turn the place around. Welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the bargain shopper for fully depreciated jumbo jets known as Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. A couple of months ago, a consultant in Florida, a guy called Rick Wilson, coined a great term. He said that New Jersey Governor Chris Christie and other Republicans scrambling to endorse Trump were the Vichy Republicans. You get the analogy, right? It's to the cheese-eating surrender monkeys who collaborated with the Nazis occupying France during World War II as opposed to the French resistance, who courageously fought them from underground. When we talk about Vichy Republicans, we're not talking about the Yahoos who supported Trump all along, the Sarah Palins and the Ted Nugents and the Michael Savages. Those people are sincere idiots. We're talking about the outstanding moral cowards, the people who are supposed to have conservative principles, but turn out to be just toadies and suck-ups to the dictator-in-waiting. These are the people who know or should know that Trump is a menace, but only really care about being on the winning side. And I'm talking about Chris Christie, who's so desperate to be Trump's running mate that he's willing to serve as wallpaper at Trump's rallies. I'm talking about Rupert Murdoch, whose conservative politics always take backseat to his business interests. I'm talking about Newt Gingrich, who keeps saying nice things about Trump and will, I'm sure, endorse him soon. These people are worse than the sincere Trump supporters because they're supporting him out of pure opportunism. Watch this bandwagon in the coming days. It's going to collect a lot more passengers. My guest today is a conservative who's never going to get on board, no matter how many other people do. He's John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary and a columnist for the New York Post. But first, about that Trump pivot. Here we go. A Trump press conference is always good to sell a few extra papers, get a few extra clicks. Yeah, but I've heard he's pivoted and become way more serious since New York. Whatever. He's still Trump. I'm sure we'll get plenty of classic ridiculous quotes as always. Okay, thank you all for coming. I'm going to take a few press questions today and try to answer issues of policy. Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump, what can you tell us about your foreign policy as it relates to the Middle East? Thank you for asking that. You know, the region is very complicated, and I think this requires a lot of nuanced reflection. Of course, we want to defeat ISIS, but we want to make sure we do it in a way that doesn't further radicalize other elements in the region or leave a power vacuum, which could give birth to something just as horrific. We want to work with our allies and be very, very deliberate about any action we take. Uh, uh, okay, uh, but what about banning Muslims from entering the U.S.? Surely you have something inflammatory to add to that? Not really. We, of course, need our American Muslims to help us in the war on terror. Uh, Mr. Trump, speaking of immigration, can you say something about the wall? Bill, the point here is just that we need to figure out immigration in this country. 
maybe a wall is an imperfect idea, but I really want to get the discussion started about how to marshal our resources to ensure law-abiding people are able to come here and stay here peacefully and that those who look to break our laws are kept out. Well, can you please say something offensive about the Mexican people that I could print? I'm afraid not. Mexican-Americans have made so many great contributions to our national culture over the years. What is he talking about? Apparently he's a new man. He can't be. Watch this. Now, Mr. Trump, where was President Obama born? I think we've put that issue to rest. Um, anything gross you'd like to say about your daughter? She's a very, very intelligent person. What a, what, um, okay, what a, uh, adjectives would you use to describe Ted Cruz? Lion. Aha! That's L-I-O-N. Look, we may disagree on a number of issues, but Ted stands up for what he believes in, and in that way, he reminds me of the king of the jungle. What the hell is happening? Look, people, governing this country is serious business. We need someone who can look at the issues that confront us with objectivity and sensitivity. That's what the new Trump is going to do. We're fucked. We're so fucked. That was a sketch from Second City. It was written by Steve Waltine and performed by Steve Waltine, Kate James, and John D. Domenico. My guest today is John Podhoritz. He's the editor of Commentary Magazine and a columnist at the New York Post. John, welcome to Trumpcast. Thanks, Jake. So, John, we're facing the phenomenon of the so-called Vichy Republicans who are going over to Trump because he's the winner, Chris, led by Chris Christie. How are the conservatives who intensely dislike Trump like you going to deal with people like that? The level of disgust uh, that Chris Christie generated by his decision to endorse Trump and the glee with which people watched his humiliation at Trump's hands by him becoming a sort of toady in that, you know, weekend of endorsement certainly signify that he and others will not be thought of well and uh, and will be looked at with great skepticism and disgust by people who sort of hope for politicians with at least a sort of modicum of principle, or at least a modicum of fidelity to the principles that they claim that they espouse, uh, that Trump violates in almost every particular. You know, so I, I think the Vichy conservatives, particularly assuming that Trump loses and loses badly, are going to be in horrendous condition. And that's one of the reasons I think you're seeing a lot fewer of them uh, than you would think you would see with with somebody storming toward the nomination like this. R- Rupert Murdoch is a Vichy Republican. That's well, I, 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 that's not a term that that's not a term that I would <laughs> as a New York Post columnist, uh, yeah. right? And I, you know, and again, he's not a politician, so th- that's a different set of matters. And you know, one one he's a he's a businessman, and he has his own company, and you can consume his products or not based on how you feel about that. But here we're more talking about people who are actual political leaders that people vote for and that people give money to and stuff like that. 
I think we're going to see it more with the congressional figures, right, with candidates in the Senate and House races. Right. Well, I mean, I think I think the real telling indication is going to be if it's September and Republicans at the state and House level are running in the other direction, you're going to know that Trump is going to lose. Those are people who really do have their ears to the ground and know what's going on in their districts because they have to. And that will be the best early indication or the clearest early indication that November is going to be an unhappy one for Trump, I think. What's it like for you being the anti-Trump columnist at a newspaper that ended up endorsing Trump in the New York primary? I mean, is this going to be a kind of rough ride for you doing that between now and the election? No, it's totally fine. I mean, you know, there I've been working for the paper for close to 20 years, and uh, the paper is uh, very uh, understanding of the fact that you you have columnists who do not necessarily hew to the paper's own line. You know, we're all friends and longtime colleagues, and I see no reason to think that anything will be untoward. John, talk about what happens to the Republican Party and the conservative movement after Trump. I mean, if you're right in your prediction that he's nominated and loses disastrously because women vote overwhelmingly against him, and I agree with all of that, What's, how does the Republican Party put itself back together after that? I mean, I'm genuinely at a loss about that. I assume that it will be, look, parties have come back from horrendous defeats. Things happen. You know, McGovern got 38% in 1972 running a campaign that literally drove away 7, 8 million people from the Democratic Party into the arms of the Republican Party. It wasn't just the famous Southern strategy. It was his own genuine mean and demeanor. And then, you know, two years later, in part, largely because of Watergate, the the Democrats won, I don't know, 74 seats in the House and won the presidency in 76. So it would be it would be a mistake to assume that the party itself, you know, is ruined forever. And so uh, Trump may just simply be a situational anomaly. On the other hand, you could really have a sense that the the set of issues that have defined the Republican Party for the last I would say 40 years, uh, with some differences, really may have aged out and no longer speak to the majority of Republicans, although that's not really the case. I mean, Trump still, after last night's triumph, has only received 40% of the aggregate Republican vote. Nonetheless, you could say that he and since Cruz hasn't run on an issue set notably different from from Trump's, that the party is now made up of people who no longer believe in a whole bunch of root Republican ideas. Right. I mean, that was the problem that we knew the party had. What Trump has exposed is a bigger problem we didn't entirely know it had, which is that there are people in the, who've been voting Republican who don't really agree with what has been Republican policy in any significant particular. You know, it's just hard for me to imagine that people like you and the people who've been voting for Trump stay together in the same party because I don't know what unites them. Well, I mean, parties are united for all sorts of reasons, including a general hostility to the philosophy of the other party. That's why Trump is such a problematic candidate for the for the GOP, because his the way he talks about most issues outside of immigration is not all that dissimilar from the way you know Hillary Clinton might talk about it, or the way classic Democrats might 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 talk about it, or indeed the way Bernie Sanders talks about some things. I mean, because Trump, as a businessman, is a is a builder rather than a banker. You know, he has no. Uh, he's totally happy to attack and condemn banks the way that Sanders does, even though, of course, it was banks that saved him, allowed him 
to recover from his bankruptcy four times and revive himself as a reality TV show star and a branding person. You know, I mean, he wouldn't be here except for the munificence of banks. But nonetheless, uh, these are some of the many ironies that this election reveals. And, and it may well be that there will be shifting alliances and people move in and out of parties as it, nothing is static. Except the Jewish vote, that's that. Right. But. Um, John, uh, I've seen you uh, referred to as the Larry David of Twitter. You're, you're very, very active on, on Twitter. What, you must be getting a lot of uh, rage from the Trump supporters when you, when you go after him there. What's, what's that like? Well, I mean, I, I will say that uh, I am uh, astounded and disgusted and horrified uh, that the, Trump's candidacy has turned a lot of rocks over, and there's a lot of sunlight being cast on a lot of horrifying opinions that have no place in, you know, in, in, in American public life. And a lot of that has been directed to people like me. It's hard to know who these people are and how great number they are, but they're wildly anti-Semitic. Uh, I mean, openly, noxiously anti-Semitic. They're... Their Twitter avatars feature pictures of, of you know, of Hitler or some version of pictures of Hitler or a whole variety of Central European nationalists for whom they they name themselves Polish anti-Semitic nationalists and Hungarian anti-Semitic nationalists of the twenties and thirties. So these aren't just you know these are people with some background and knowledge and whose hostility seem to have been generated over many generations. And it, it's bad. It's been very, very bad and very, very upsetting. And uh, I think that it explains to some extent the uh, hesitancy with which Trump uh, refused to disavow David Duke and the KKK and the conduct and his sort of embrace of the ethic of violence at his rallies and things, all of which seem to speak to the idea that he knows his base and he knows that his base is um, dark includes a, f- a fascist digital mob and maybe a something fascist like actual mob and that it's something that he does not wish to separate himself from too quickly now I, i've noticed when i when i get responses like that i usually just block or mute but i've noticed that you often engage with those people and end up in a twitter battle with them yeah, I, I, this this is a very uh, gut instinct thing with me, and a lot of people, my wife including, among them, uh, don't understand why I don't just ignore it. And I, I have this weird feeling that if I ignore it, that I am somehow acceding to it. That if I treat if I treat it with sort of contempt and dismissal rather than disgust and disdain and an open effort to expose it to other people so that they know what's actually going on, that I am somehow complicit. I don't, that's a gut feeling. I wouldn't accuse anybody else who does not do it of being complicit. It's, it's something within me. I've, after a while, I've done it less and less, but it just seemed like there was no way to simply sit there and take it without seeming impotent or or as though this was it was okay to throw this at someone in someone's face and indeed in everyone's face i I mean i actually applaud you for fighting back i just i just find it personally so unpleasant that i i couldn't do it but oh it's it's horrendous but somehow it's also it's also like a you know it's like a you get a kind of adrenaline i get an adrenaline from it it's not that pleasant but it's something so who do you think you'll vote for if it is trump versus hillary 
Well, I'm, I am fortunate in that I live in New York, and therefore I won't have to vote. So, uh, since my vote won't count, so would you would you and not not vote if given that choice? Would you prefer? I would I mean, not if, vote. I would not vote for either. I would not vote for Hillary, and I certainly wouldn't vote for Trump. So, if it if you know if I were in that doomsday scenario, I, I would I would reflect on the doomsday scenario of Garson Kanan's great 1939 movie, The Great Man Votes, where, you know, it all came down to me. And I had to, <laughs> I, you know, I was the deciding point between, between the two, but God, God has not put me in that, in that position since uh, despite all the fantasy claims by Trump, you know, Hillary will certainly win New York by 20 or 25 points. So my vote won't count. John Podhoritz is the editor of Commentary Magazine. John, thanks for joining me on the show. Uh, it was a real pleasure. Thanks. That's it for today's episode of Trumpcast. The show is produced by Henry Milofsky and Jason DeLeon. Slate's executive producer is Steve Lichtai. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Thanks to the folks from Second City for writing and performing today's sketch. And special thanks to John D. Domenico, our voice of The Donald. Oh, also, I'm going to be in Washington, D.C. on May 23rd doing a live performance with my brother, Joe Weisberg. Joe is the creator of the FX series, The Americans, I wrote a biography of Ronald Reagan, which is also at the core of his show. And we're going to be talking about the 1980s and Ronald Reagan at the Six and I Synagogue. You can get tickets at slate.com slash live. And Slate members, as always, get 30% off. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for tuning in to Trumpcast. The cruise Kasich pack is under great strain. This joke of a deal is falling apart, not being honored, and almost dead. Very dumb.